Hey everyone, Greg Wells here. Just wanted to take a moment and let you know that we have an app. During lockdown, uh, when everything sort of shut down, we put all our efforts and energies at Wells Performance into digital because we had to. Uh, clearly, I wasn't doing any public speaking around the world, so things needed to change. So we took something that we'd been working on for about three years sort of in the background and brought it to the like urgent forefront of what we were doing. And uh, we put all our efforts and energies into finishing our app. Uh, so I've had a number of PhDs working on this for many years. I've got Ming Cheng Tsai doing data analytics, Jessica Caterini doing the medical side of things, Evan Lewis doing the work on nutrition. I've been doing some stuff on on sleep and Sarah Thompson's been working on the kinesiology side of things. And we have built this app. We, we call it Vivio, V-I-I-V-I-O. That's Latin for life. The website's V-I-I-V.io. So Vivio. And we built an app that tracks your sleep, nutrition, exercise, and mindset using all the latest tools and technologies that are available in uh, iOS and Apple Watch. So it's built currently for Apple Watch and iPhone. It basically allows you to track your sleep, track your nutrition, track your exercise, track your mindset. And then we built an algorithm that gives you individualized recommendations based on your own results. I basically built an app that I wanted to have that had everything in one place. So I don't have to have just my, you know, my workout tracker and then my sleep tracker. And like, it's all over the place. We built one that has everything in one location. We used the latest research to build the scoring mechanisms. We score actually every single one of those areas. Eat, sleep, move, things gets a score out of 10 on a daily basis to give you a sense of how you're doing uh, against the latest research and the top thinking. So we're pretty excited about it. It's uh, definitely for biohackers. It's definitely for people that are really interested in you know, pushing the limits on their health and well-being and performance, which is probably you if you're listening to this podcast. Uh, introductory, the basic version is free, so you can check it out. Absolutely free. There's no cost. Uh, the pro version gets you the daily tips and access to your history if you want to see how you're doing and improving. So if you want to check it out, you can do so. No cost. If you want to get the pro version, we would be infinitely grateful and uh, just so privileged to have your support on that. So check it out, viiv.io. It's Vivio. We'd love to hear what you think of our new app that we built during lockdown. All right. Hope you're good and please enjoy this episode. Thanks for listening. Welcome back. It's great to be with you. Thank you so much for joining me for my podcast, where every week I do my best to bring you the best experts in the world on health, well-being, and high performance. And this week, I'm really excited to talk to world-class climber and North Face athlete, Brett Harrington. Brett is a bold alpinist, accomplished 513-plus trad climber, calculated soloist, expert ski mountaineer, big wall center, graceful mixed climber, and I could go on and on and on. Brett Harrington owes her lengthy title to her versatility in the mountains. In 2013, at the age of 23, Brett gained international climbing fame when she free soloed 2,500-foot Chiara de Luna on a 511A climb in Patagonia. She is a recipient of the American Alpine Club's prestigious Robert Hicks Bates Award, which honors young climbers who show outstanding promise for future accomplishment. Brett constantly works to improve every area of climbing that will help her as an alpinist from bouldering to higher grade rock climbing to ski mountaineering and ice climbing. Versatility fuels her creativity and vision, and it's vision that Brett says, says motivates her exceptional solo climbs. At 27, her first ascent spanned Alaska, Patagonia, and the Canadian Rockies. She was raised by skiers in Lake Tahoe. 
and Brett competed in slope-style slope skiing in high school at a ski academy, academy in New Hampshire and college in British Columbia. But after suffering numerous concussions and breaking her neck at the age of 20, I know how that feels, Brett quit competing and pursued an interest in rock climbing. In Squamish, she met talented climber Marc-André Leclerc, who introduced her to ice and alpine climbing. And from 2014 to 2016, the couple traveled the world big wall climbing. They put up first ascents in British Columbia, Alberta, and on Baffin Island in northern Canada above the Arctic Circle. By 2017, Brett was focused on winter alpine climbing, reveling in the constant decision-making, the flow of mind and body, and the required improvisation and creativity. It seemed a culmination of all the skills she'd honed so far. But in 2018, Brett lost her life and climbing partner when Leclerc never returned from the Mendenhall Towers near Juneau, Alaska. The following year, Brett dropped everything and went back to the mountains. She found solace and connection amongst the big mountains and grieved by focusing all of her attention on the lines she wanted to climb. She opened routes on the Taku Towers in Juneau Icefield and made a first ascent of the Life Compass, a 510A M4 Plus climb in Alberta. In 2019, she climbed the biggest, hardest alpine route of her career, a first ascent of the east face of Alberta's Mount Faye that she and her partners named Sound of Silence. Brett climbed difficult pitch after difficult pitch and moved quicker than she ever had through difficult, loose, mixed terrain. Same year, Harrington went on to climb a line she and Leclerc had hoped to climb together, a gently arcing crack in the east pillar of Torrey Egger, Patagonia. She named the 12C 13-pitch climb MA's vision and will return to complete the line to the summit. In between, she completed her third 512 first ascent on the Chinese puzzle wall, a 500-meter big wall in British Columbia. If that sounds overwhelming. Believe me, it is. While Brett is excited about expedition climbing, especially in Peru and Pakistan, she is finding most everything she needs in the Canadian Rockies right now. The loose limestone sharpens her weaknesses and the relief offers prominence at a Himalayan scale without the high altitude and the seemingly endless range offers a lifetime of technical climbs. As Brett says, the more technical, the better. I think, can't think of a better person to talk to about navigating difficult circumstances, and we will definitely dig into all of that in today's podcast. So without any further delays, please enjoy my conversation with big mountain climber, Brett Harrington. Brett, thanks so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited to have a chat. Um, so we delayed this because you were out doing awesome stuff. Tell me what you were doing. Tell me about your life. Like, what are you up to? This is just uh, like when you told me what you were potentially doing this week, I was like, yes, absolutely. We need to delay the podcast. You must go do that. <laughs> so it's I'm living in the Canadian Rockies and it's been snowing quite a bit here so um, it looked like we had a couple days of sunshine so that we could get into the alpine so those days of sunshine overlapped when we were going to do our podcast but you were excited for me to go out so yeah I went ski mountaineering it it's definitely mountaineering because there's not really enough coverage to just ski. You have to climb also, but that's what I find interesting anyhow. Yeah. So you're basically like, just to give everyone context about what is actually happening here, you are climbing up a mountain, some snow, some ice, some rock, and then putting on your skis and skiing back down. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, the reason we chose to climb part of the rock versus just the strip of snow is because the snow was so deep and it's such a steep 
Kuar. It's a steep gully that we're climbing that it was just wallowing through deep snow. So we decided to climb the the rock on the right-hand side instead. Um, but it cool. also requires a lot of endurance because you start low in the valleys and then have to ski tour all the way up into the high mountains. So like climbing, skiing, endurance, fitness, like all the, like, plus all the skills you need to be able to do that safely. That's a lot of like, it's actually, a, it's a huge endeavor to actually do that safely. Yeah. 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 And go out with people that you trust and people that are going to make like smart decisions. So I have a good group of friends out here. Amazing. To go out with. So take me back to the origin story. Like, how did you get started with all this? How did you discover your love of the outdoors? I'm just really fascinated by, you know, how you landed where you're at now. I grew up in Lake Tahoe, California, and my parents um, were skiers. And so I started skiing at the age of two. Um, wow. Yeah. <laughs> my I have a brother and sister, so all three of us started skiing super, super early on. And then I continued skiing. Skiing was my like main hobby as a kid. I ski raced and then I did freestyle skiing. Uh, then I moved to New Hampshire and I went to a boarding school. And in New Hampshire, I got into rock climbing. So I was about 15 and I started rock climbing uh, on the school team. And it wasn't competitive. We just started um, going outside and it was da a daily activity. So after school, we'd go climbing every day. And I never stopped. So I moved to Squamish. I went to university in Vancouver and picked up a bunch of friends for climbing out in Squamish. And then I, my first sponsor was Arcteryx. And I worked with Arcteryx for six years. Um, and now I'm with the North Face. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Um, I'm just ignoring people that are calling me here. Um, so basically you begin with this idea that like your mom and dad get you into something really early. You go to school, you get involved in this, 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 um, activity of rock climbing. And now you're a professional at this, like you're sponsored high performance mountain athlete, basically. Um, talk to me about how you have developed your skills over time. Like how have you continue to evolve how what's it like when you discover that you need to learn something new because like you were into skiing but then you discovered rock climbing now obviously you're doing a merger of both of those um I, i'm just curious about like skill acquisition like how do you discuss how do you keep growing like how do you keep discovering new things like how do we how do we fill the gaps of your knowledge and skills to be able to do like all of the many many things that you do uh at a high level oh i love this question because <laughs> it's always changing um so I, so skiing was a basis for me and I've just like, I've always been a skier. Um, and so that's sort of second nature. Yeah. And then, um, with climbing, I got into sport climbing, but my inspiration was to go high into the, on like high, big exposed walls, which led me to climbing like big walls and I got into big wall climbing. So I moved to Squamish and got into trad climbing, which led me to big wall climbing. So technical rock climbing. And then technical rock climbing led to bigger and bigger faces. And the bigger the faces, the more likely they were in the alpine. So then to get to the alpine, you had to be really fit. And then the alpine environment has so many different conditions because of weather, different 
different wind patterns and such. So I started getting, I think it was in 2000, 2016, I was in Chile climbing a big wall and the weather was so bad. It was storming for five weeks. And so my partner and I just decided we would try and climb the wall with our ice tools. And so we're up there with our ice tools trying to climb this big wall that's a rock climb. And after that trip, I became super inspired to get better at alpinism, which is more like ice climbing and like mountaineering. Um, so I had technical rock climbing in my skill set. And then I just, my, I had a partner, Mark Andre Leclerc, and we were partners for very long, six years. And we just traveled around and kind of, he taught me a ton about alpinism. That's where he started. He started um, alpine climbing at the age of 13. And so he was really knowledgeable. And so I gained all my knowledge from Mark. And we, so he sat, it's a sad story, but Mark passed away in 2018. He was in an avalanche. And um, I felt propelled to continue alpine climbing at that point. Uh, he was my big wall partner, and I just didn't feel inspired to go big wall climbing for like two years. So I haven't really done any big walls since then, and I've just kind of stuck with alpinism. But living in the Canadian Rockies, I have all these ski partners there's so many more skiers than I'm finding for climbing. So I'm kind of mixing my ski background with alpinism now. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> um, I thank you for sharing that, by the way. I obviously am aware of that st aspect of your story, but it's hard to talk about your partner when you lose someone that's a huge part of your life and totally part of what you do as your life, which is being outdoors in the mountains and obviously that carries a significant element of risk. We obviously try to mitigate our risk and, and sometimes things happen that are out of our own control. And so I'm just sort of wondering, like, what were your thoughts around all of that? And I don't want to dig into this too much. So I know it's difficult to talk about, but I think that it's relevant because so many people right now are just in a place where they are also like struggling with things that are outside of our own control. Right. And, um, so I think that your insights might actually be incredibly helpful for people, even if it's a little bit painful to talk about. So, uh, yeah, anyway, I'll just throw that out there and see what you want to do about that question or comment. I just feel like you should, if you're going through something really traumatic, like what I went through, the best thing for me to do was to follow what I was comfortable doing. And what I felt like I needed to do, because a lot of people were telling me what they thought I should be doing, which was not going into the mountains. <laughs> they were telling me, don't go into the mountains, just like stay put. But um, I felt like I needed to be in the mountains. That's where I felt most comfortable and where I felt connected with Mark. And I also, he, um, Mark gave me so much of his mental energy for rock climbing and alpine climbing. And I didn't want to lose that. I wanted to make use of it and do something that he would be proud of. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And how did you learn or how did you deliberately listen to your internal voice and like what you needed to do and learn to ig ignore or not listen to all the people who are telling you what they thought you should do? Cause that's like literally in a microscopic way, 
like the issue with what I think like the entire world at the moment. Right. So, yeah. It's so much easier to um, like when I was in such a traumatic, when I had this traumatic event occur, I couldn't do what others wanted me to do. I didn't have the capacity. Like my energy was unable to go anywhere else besides where I could take it. So I became pretty selfish during that time. I wasn't the best daughter or friend. I just had to do what I felt I needed to do, which was take care of myself. And had I tried, anytime I tried to like go against that, I would just become incredibly depressed and I would just lie on the floor and like melt away. It was, yeah, <laughs> there was like no other choice. Yeah. Good for you. That's very cool. And obviously when you're out there and doing these things, there's always, by the way, I've ice climbed like once in my life. So I'm, I'm imagining everything that we are speaking about right now. I'm actually not speaking from a position of any expertise whatsoever, but on the very tiny waterfall that I climbed last winter, um, I was scared. And, um, I think with good reason, even though it was tiny, um, how do we, how do you cope with fear? Like, how do you cope with the, your mind when you're on a wall or you're climbing or you're coming down a couloir? Like, how do you, how do you cope with the chatter that goes in, in your mind when you're doing those sorts of things? And maybe I'm speaking to it from a perspective of like, my mind is active, yours isn't. And that might be the answer, but I'm curious how do you, how your mind works when you're doing these activities? Ooh, okay, this is another good question. So for me, it starts at the beginning of the day or even the day before. Um, if I do high energy activity a day, the day before, I might be too tired mentally to do anything dangerous or scary, or I just won't have the mental capacity to keep it together. So if I have a day where at least I'm, I feel slightly recovered and my mind is activated in the morning, then I'll, I'll recognize it. I recognize it right away. Hmm. Um, so for example, yesterday I, I just come off of two days of doing big ski tours and yesterday would have been a terrible day for me to go into the mountains cause I was just too tired physically and mentally. So on a day like that, it's probably not wise for me to go do something with risk but um yeah yeah so it starts at the beginning of the day and then if I go out and I'm feeling awake and alert then I just use my intuition and definitely I've noticed it with climbing where you have to really stay calm um and breathe through situations like if you look down and it looks scary or you have that feeling of fear it's good to just pull your physiological responses in and like bring it back to the heart rate and slow your heart heart rate down and actually just um, breathe slowly. It, what happens to your arms, if you're fearful, your arms will become super tense. And then that tension like holds in and you get gripped, which then makes you want to like over grip and you might fall. So if you can relax and relax your body, then your mind can relax too. It takes a so, lot. So no, that's really, really good. So let's dig into this a little bit further. Cause I think the process is interesting. Cause although we're talking about like ice climbing and big walls, this applies to literally everything, writing a test, 
um, doing a speech, like whatever. So when I was ice climbing last year, there was a moment, and I'm kind of even embarrassed to admit this, but we were, I think it was on our third um, waterfall, and I was going up, and I, I was in that tension moment that you just described. And I literally was on this wall, and I was roped in and stuff like that. But I, I looked at my hands, and I was like, oh my God, my hands are about to stop working. And they literally just let go of the two ice axes that were embedded in, in the waterfall. And there, was, there wasn't a single thing in the world that I could do about it. And obviously I fell and I was fine, but cause I was roped in, but then I had to like literally find a way back up to go get my stupid ice axes, which I'd lost, um, which was, you know, problematic obviously for the guy that I was with, but it was just like this weird thing where I was so tense that my body just stopped working. Um, so that was like, that's the tension side. And then on the relaxation side, when we were rappelling back down and again, rappelling is so you're roped in, but you have to lean back out over the waterfall, the ice water, the icy waterfall. And lower yourself down so you can be, you know, lowered down what you just climbed up and you do have to look down. And I looked down at one point and I was like, Oh my God, I like literally was so scared. But then I was just took that deep breath and did it exactly as you just described. I just came into my physiology, relaxed and just worked the process of moving my hands and the ropes the way that I needed to, in order to be able to lower myself down off, off the, the pitch. So, it, and again, I hope I'm not using all the wrong terminology to describe what I'm doing, but I probably am. Um, so, uh, anyway, that was really interesting. Like on one end, like the tension just literally lost all control. Whereas when you're completely relaxed in these sketchy situations, it actually is totally easy. So would love your interpretation of that as my new, um, expert on mountaineering. Oh yeah, this is great. Cause a lot, a lot of the time you'll see climbers that want to get through situations fast because the faster you get through it, the faster it's over. But I take it in like the opposite direction and I climb really slow or I'll go through the crux sequences, the tricky sequences fast, but I'll get to a section where I can stop and bring back my heart rate. And sometimes I'll spend like a couple minutes at a time just trying to relax my body before I begin again. So with ice climbing, you'll be like... I guess, um, swinging your ice tool into the ice and it might take a while because maybe the ice will be brittle. So you have a couple swings and each swing is taking energy from you. So then finally you'll get one good swing. That's good enough for you to hold on to. And then what I do is I sit there and I relax that arm. So I'll switch hands and then relax it until it feels like recovered enough to keep going. And I do that every, every time I feel tension. Very, very cool. Is there anything that you do outside of actual climbing to help your preparation? Like, do you have a meditation practice? What's your training off the mountain look like to prepare? Mm, I don't really do meditation. I do yoga. I think like keeping your body flexible is super important. Just building tension. I, I tend to get a lot of tension in my neck. So yeah, yoga is helpful. I also do a lot of running. I think running is really good for endurance. Um, yeah. And I do like core training. And Why do you have so much tension in your neck? I'm just curious what happened there <laughs> from one person who broke their neck to another. I can't imagine you having, um, pain in your neck. What's going on with that? <laughs> yeah, actually. And I, I do have, um, scoliosis in my neck, which is probably caused from the when I broke my neck. Yeah. 
So tell me about that experience. I have, I actually have a completely deformed cervical spine as well. So I'm, it's, it's, uh, I, I'm feeling your pain right now, but anyway, so how did, tell us the story. How did you break your neck and let's, let's get into that. I, it was, um, I think I was 20. Yeah, I was about 20 years old and I was skiing in Revelstoke and I decided, um, to go into the backcountry. and some snowboarders had built a jump. And I'd been hitting it the day of that they built the jump and the snow was nice and soft. And I went back the next day and without even trying to hit it, I just, um, or to like test it out, I just hit it and I spun. I did a 360, but the snow had solidified on the landing and I like landed and then just flipped right over because it was so sticky and I I couldn't like ski through it. And then my neck just like went one way and my shoulders went the other way. And I knew I heard everything crack and I knew right away it was really serious. Um, but I also wasn't concussed. So I was like really glad I didn't hit my head. But in that second, it was, yeah, I had to go through quite a, a couple months of rehab. And I mean, I, sh- I should technically still be doing rehab. Right. Okay. So, um, you're, you're lying on the, on the snow and how did you get off the mountain? I managed to get out of, I like skied out. Oh my God. Yeah. But it was crazy. Cause I didn't know it was broken. I, I knew it was really bad, but I, yeah, I managed to ski out and then um, it was later that day that I went to the hospital and so it was, yeah. <laughs> okay. So here's my story, which is like identical. So I'm body surfing in the ocean in Florida, get with a, with my swim team, get picked up, dropped on my head. And I, I also heard and felt the explosion. Like I heard it all. It was, although I hit myself literally on the top of my head, I felt it mid mid neck and I could feel it explode, swam to shore got to the beach, sat on the beach for a little while, eventually, you know, went to the pool for the swim meet we were supposed to have. And then it started really hurting. So I convinced my coach to let me go to the hospital, uh, eventually arrived at the hospital like hours later. And then they did the x-ray and discovered, yeah, it was broken. Um, so it's super scary how, when you break your neck, you actually so many times don't know, or you do sort of know, but you don't take it seriously enough to be like, I'm not going to move anymore. Um, and I've got another friend who, who broke his neck skiing, got himself out of the woods, crawled out onto the slope where someone found him. Um, like it's, 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 this is not an uncommon experience. And, uh, anyway, little warning, if anyone listening hurts themselves and hurts your spine, like take it seriously. And, uh, yeah, it might not end up in a, otherwise it might not end up in as good of a place as you and I did, even though, um, we should both still probably be doing more rehab than we are. Mm-hmm. So what did the recovery look like for you? Like, what was that two to three months looking like? Like, how did you heal? How did you get strong again? How do, how do you recover from a, from an injury like that when you do the type of activities that you do? I was seeing a specialist in Vancouver and she was amazing. She, so she realigned all the vertebrae that were like, no way. Wow. Yeah. She was great. And she also did, uh, she was a concussion specialist too. So she kind of helped me through some of the concussion injuries that I'd had. Um, but it's called Atlas, Atlas realignment. Yeah. So it's like shockwaves that go through your vertebrae and like gently realign your, 
your atlas is your C1, I think. Mm -hmm. And then my C2 and then all the like C4 through C7 were injured and fractured. So, um, a lot of like really subtle motions were what I was supposed to do. Like turning your head, doing like slow practice with mobility. Yeah. And I think it just sort of healed on so well doing by doing that. Very, very cool. Uh, you just allow that natural process to occur. So when, now that you're back at it, obviously you've probably got a real, I, I shouldn't put words in your mouth. I'm guessing that you now, after the experience with Mark and breaking your neck and being out there, you're probably incredibly grateful for every opportunity. And as a result, when you're out there, there's probably some pretty special moments where you kind of feel like the universe is like just everything's coming together at that moment to give you a pretty incredible experience. At least that's how I experience it when I'm out there doing stuff like this. I'm curious, what is it like for you being out there these days? Like, what is it? How, how are you feeling? Like, what are some really cool experiences that you've had? Like, how does that, how are you, what's the experience of being out in the mountains like for you these days? I get so much energy from going into the mountains. I, it, like coming home in the evenings, I feel so much excitement and it just makes me feel better every day that I get to go into the Alpine, no matter really what it is, even if it's just ridge running. And I don't know if it's quite like visually beautiful or like me using my body to the max or pushing myself mentally or maybe just the whole combination of it all. And then interacting with the environment like makes me excited. Um, and then it makes me happy and that's what I want to do. So I'll go through like over the summer, I had a couple weeks where I was struggling to find partners. And so I ended up doing a fair bit of soloing during that time. But I also was saddened because I wanted to go into the mountains and I had these big ideas. I just needed the right partners and I just wasn't finding them. So um, I could feel my energy dropping is like, I, I enjoy running and I love like, training and keeping my body fit, but it's for a purpose. And the purpose is to be able to like use my body to the maximum when I'm in the mountains. Is that really what you feel like your purpose is? It's literally like le leveraging the body that, that you have to explore and push the limits of what you're capable of. Is that like a fair way of, of saying it? That, I think that's the purpose of my training yeah. for sure. Yeah. And that's what makes me happy. So that's kind of like the goal or the direction of my, um, like life, I guess. Yeah. Very cool. And what do you have planned? Like what's on the, what's on the radar for you? What are you preparing for? Like what's, uh, what's the dream for you right now? Um, so ice climbing season's coming up and because of like travel restrictions, I'm going to stay in Western Canada for the majority of the winter. Um, I, do let's see um i'm going to train for ice climbing mixed climbing and i need to get stronger physically um i also find that training a lot of endurance wears down on my power hmm. so i need to really focus on power and uh, i've got some really cool objectives with my ski partner like kind of mixing climbing and skiing so that's what's up next when you're allowed to travel, what's, uh, what's the dream trip? Like what's the dream expedition? Like, what do you, what, what, if you could create anything, go do anything in the world, what would it be? Okay. So I really want to go to Pakistan 
Pakistan for climbing and skiing. And I had some friends that were there this fall. They just traveled over there from Europe and they had an amazing trip and it just looks so pretty there. So I think Pakistan is on my radar. Right on. Yeah. I cannot wait to get back to travel and uh, starting to explore the world and do cool things again. All right. So starting to sort of wrap things up and, and pull this all together. I'm really interested in if you were to look back over the whole story arc of your parents taking you skiing to where you are today, what themes emerge for you? Like, what do you think are sort of the big observations or like the, the cool trends or the inflection points that put you on a upwards trajectory and major life as special as it is? Um, I had various moments in my life that made big differences. Um, one of them was I had a climbing coach in high school who truly believed in me and believed in my physical ability and mental ability. And he told me that, and he gave me my first climbing rope. And I think that meant a lot to me as a, as a kid, like having somebody validate that you're, you could potentially keep doing this. Um, and, um, another big moment in my life was when I, I was in university and I had just gone to school in Spain for a year. I studied abroad and I got back to Vancouver and I was, I just wanted to focus my attention on something that I could truly excel at. And I was studying sciences and environmental science, and I and I tr- I truly liked it, but I didn't feel that I was especially unique when it came to like all these other scientists. I felt like I could do what other scientists were doing, but I might not be on the cutting edge. And I wanted to follow something that I would be doing on the like cutting edge. So I chose to stick with climbing. I don't know if that answers your question, though. What it does. I mean, it's no, no. I mean, I think that what I want to actually just dig into, since it's an inflection point, was the influence that your coach had, and you've also mentioned like the influence of the people that you choose to go and tr- go climbing with and mountaineering with, and and trust for those people, and that sort of that in my mind speaks to a lot the power of who you choose to surround yourself with and people that elevate your life. So can you expand on that a little bit? Just I, I, in all of the things you've said, that seems to be a very common theme. Yeah, I, I think it's really important to surround yourself with people who make you feel good and make you feel comfortable, but you have to do that in, in reverse. You have to give them your energy also and try and build them up. Because um, so many times in life we're, stuck with people that are kind of pulling you down or competitive to an edge that you can tell they're trying to overpower you or something. But I think, um, choosing the right partners and having people that really trust in you is, is good. Yeah. Yeah, It's like a support support system. It's a, like, it is a total support system for you living the life that you actually want to live. And I think the one thing you also said there, which is super important, is that you've got to give others just as much energy as they give you. Yeah. And when you also spoke about um, looking at what you were doing in university and realizing you weren't, maybe you couldn't be world-class at the sciences that you were studying, but you could be world-class at something else. That's also something that intrigues me because uh, to a large extent, that's just somehow how I felt in my scientific career. You know, I'm 
still a researcher at SickKids, but I, I encounter people there all the time who are infinitely more brilliant than I ever will be. Um, I think I'm really good at what I do, but in, there's people that are way better. So uh, I chose to lean more into knowledge translation, like this podcast, or writing books and public speaking as a way of translating science for people to use. I think that's sort of what my uh, unique ability is. But you also mentioned that you chose deliberately to do something that you could be you know, best in class at. And I think that a lot of people struggle with, you know, leaving the traditional path, university and taking science to go do maybe something that's not as traditional, climbing mountains. Tell me a little bit more about like that, that decision and that realization as well, because it's pretty powerful to be able to make those decisions as early in your life as you managed to make it. Right. I, it was a real struggle for me, especially because my parents didn't support the decision. They were very against it. And my Dad still is very against what I do. Um, he wishes I'd be a dentist. <laughs> um, but I, I had a super strong pull to it. Um, and I just, I remember having a conversation with my mom and saying that I might not be the most physically talented climber in the world, but it's my mind. My mind will bring me there. And I still feel that like it's, it's, mind power that has gotten me where I am. Well, I want you to keep building your mind power, keep doing the things that you're doing, keep uh, pushing the limits, keep exploring the world. Hopefully we can explore the world as soon as humanly possible. And um, we're most likely spending some time out West this winter. So hopefully we can do something fun, cool together. That'd be great. And um, thank you for everything that you're doing. Thank you, thank you for being such an inspiration. My daughter looks up to you. Like I, I'm so psyched that there's people like you that I can sort of drop into her realm of consciousness to help her realize that she can do anything that she wants. So appreciate everything you do. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you so much. Thanks for the app. <laughs> yeah, we'll you even talk about the app. We'll talk about the app on another, on another time. Okay, sounds good. All right, everyone. I hope that you enjoyed that. Brett's pretty awesome. Pretty powerful insights there and a ton of inspiration. You can check out Brett on Instagram at Brett Harrington, B-R-E-T-T-E-H-A-R-R-I-N-G-T-O-N. I'm sure she'd love to hear from you. So feel free to ping her, DM her, ask her some questions. If you love that, please share it. Please give us a review on iTunes. That's super helpful. And feel free to ping me on social at Dr. Greg Wells. And that's it for this week. Thanks so much for listening in. We really appreciate you being here and being part of the community. If you want to check out our app, Vivio, we would be so thrilled. It's at vivio.com, B-I-I-V-I-O. Um, base level's free. Upgrade if you want. And we are super psyched to have you in that platform as well. All right, that's it for this week. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you again really soon.